This is potentially catastrophic. I have a whole stack of books to read. Joy Harjo's Conflict Resolution for Holy Beings. Venice by Jan Morris. Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. Romeo and Juliet. And there's a whole bunch of books I read before. It's from the 1st of March, 2016. From the 27th of April, 27th of July. So I guess the only thing to do is see how the books speak to each other. <laughs> okay. Oh, brilliant. This is probably going to get weird. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, coming to you from the kitchen on this very rainy day. The cats are wandering around and being very loud, so you might hear them. Um, welcome to episode 11. I am doing today, I finished um, Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. So this will be the second episode featuring this book. I had about a third of the book to finish, and I did. Um, it remains a challenging book to read, partly because of the topics that she covers, partly because of my own discomfort, uh, which is mine to sit in, um, and partly because it reads so quickly that I forget about the weight of what I'm reading. Uh, the second part of the book includes chapters on white girl tears, uh, fear, the systems that barricade black love and the history of those systems, um, the role of favor in achievement. Um, and then she ends the book with a chapter about joy. Um, I'm, I'm definitely gonna read it again before I take it back to the library. And uh, when I have some disposable income, I will be adding it to my personal library. Um, it's, it's genuinely like, it is a, a worthwhile read um, for many, many reasons, even though it has left me, it maybe because it has left me somewhat um, raw in places that I hadn't really anticipated. She, because she is an academic, even though this is a very personal text, she brings a very specific kind of receipt to the conversation. So she talks about, when she talks about the challenges facing black women who are looking to be married, she goes back to Bill Clinton and 1994 and the policies of mass incarceration that have, that are specifically racist. Hello, hold on, I gotta pause my podcast. Okay, so that was my roommate. And now that she is gone, um, I think I was talking about discomfort and, um, oh no, I was talking about how, because Dr. Cooper understands history and systems and how to read history, she's talking about mass incarceration specifically of black men and what that does for communities. Um, and one of the, one small part, well not small, but like one identifiable consequence is the dramatic decrease in married black women and her chapter about that is it is absolutely gutting and it is infuriating as I think it is meant to be um and I feel like it brings into play like that is a place where she meshes feminism 
with a desire to be loved, with the desire to love, with community building, with children, with mass incarceration, with white politicians in a very engaging, seemingly unique to her, but ultimately you realize that this is a much, much larger problem that is expressed in the life of one incredible woman. And the, the book really does read that way. And I think reading it again will highlight a lot of that meshing of, of influence and uh, pop culture and politics and her conversational sort of tone because it's not particular it's not actually conversational it feels that way in earlier chapters and then you realize that it's I mean for me it's definitely not conversational because I am not her intended audience I feel I am a person that I believe she is aware will read this book and because she is a professor her voice is inclusive in that way it is, however, not directed at white girls. And I actually wanted to read from the chapter called White Girl Tears. This is a passage that is at the bottom of 172 to the top of 173. And it's something that I think to pretend that white women do not also capitulate to white women tears is to deny that we are aware that we're doing it and to deny the possibility that we can change it. So I wanted to read this. On the day after Trump's inauguration, white women took over America to the tune of more than 3 million protesters. It is the biggest feminist action ever recorded. But it was hard to see the outraged cries of all these white women, many of whom had failed to get their people as anything other than a public profusion of white lady tears. White girls usually cry white lady tears after they have done something hella racist and then been called out by the offending party for doing so. To shift blame and claim victimhood, they start to cry. The world falls apart as people rush to their defense. All knowledge of the fact that they are the ones who caused the problem escapes the notice of everyone except the person or people they disrespected. It's a phenomenon that black folks know well. And the chapter expounds on that. Um, and I am, I'm interested to see what happens in my perception of the book as I reread it and sit longer with a lot of this. So now, Two years ago book. This is from the 26th of February. And this is, oh, huh. So this is The Veins of the Ocean by Patricia Engel. It was published in May of 2016 by Grove Press. I had it as a, as a galley, as an uncorrected proof. So this is from page 138 and 139. Uh, I should say that this book is a novel, so 
In junior high, a guidance counselor started calling me into her office, convinced I was being victimized or at least coerced by the older boys who trailed me in the halls, trying to get me to ditch class to go fool around with them in the boys' room or behind the school gym. The lady didn't believe me when I told her not to worry, that everything I'd ever done I did because I didn't mind it, not because someone forced me. I had this idea that it was on the older boys to teach us girls what to do with our bodies, the same way they taught us how to dance salsa and merengue at block parties and asados. I could tell I'd stumped her. So, okay, my notes. There are no obvious questions to visible answers in this novel. I am utterly in love with its unsentimental approach to attachment issues, redemption, healing, love, and fear. All And all this in a novel written in present tense and in the first person. Like, what even? Reina is a woman whose story is both prosaic and extraordinary. I appreciate her longing for a way of living that is simple, as in not grandiose, not minimal, and that she works. Unemployment does not suit her, and she does not, she does not seem to spend money stupidly. There is nothing stupid about her, though she is not written to be an intellectual wonderkind, rather a woman away from good and kind love. Her mother was cruel, and her mother, or sorry, her father was cruel, and her mother overwhelmed by a life of tragedy that she did nothing to cause. Reina has a kind of agency that is firm, quiet, and very much kept to herself. She has a kind of faith in her ability to carry on even when things are terrible. I love the first nights in her place on the Keys where she learns what silence and stars are. The ocean is a massive, constant, and occasionally unpredictable character in this wondrous novel. It cannot be accidental. Patricia Engel really does sidestep a huge amount of the kind of romanticism I normally associate with books set in the Keys or Caribbean. This is a work with a truly active heart and no flowers that aren't where they are grown. Here is healing and awareness and what begins to be boundless love. I remember really, really caring about this book. Reina is the main character. She has grown up in Miami. Her family is from a South American country whose name I cannot remember right now, and I did not write it down for myself. And her brother has been incarcerated for an act of violence that he committed, and she spent, I think it's like seven years of her life going every weekend to the prison so that she could see him. He eventually was kept in solitary confinement and the book begins after his death. So she is suddenly without direction. Her mother is someone who has her own life. Reina is somebody who does not want to live in the neighborhood in Miami. Something happens, and I don't remember what it was because it has been over two years, and she leaves and is facing um, a life that she is going to define for herself. And it is a really personal journey that doesn't involve... Um, an enormous amount of money, like her, her life doesn't shift dramatically, right? She, she doesn't suddenly discover that she's an investment banker. She doesn't 
she doesn't actually go to college. She never says she wants to go to college. Uh, she eventually gets a job doing the same thing in the Keys that she had done in Miami, which is do nail. She's a nail tech. And she eventually gets another job where she meets the guy who becomes um, her, her love interest. And, and even that takes a while. It's not rom-com-y. Uh, there's not really a meet-cute. It's a slow build because he also has a very complicated relationship because his family lives in Cuba. And so at some point she has to go, no, he has to go back to see his wife and his children. And, you know, their relationship is somewhat unsettled because his life is somewhat unsettled. And she's, I, I really, I came away from it. Like I still struggle with how working class characters are written and I don't remember this book well enough to remember if my struggles are from this or not. Um, but I think it's it's a it's a really wonderful book, and the ocean plays such a huge part in it. And how Reina learns to interact with the world around her rather than simply continuing, because that has been a major theme she she just goes she just does what she needs to do and her life is so circumscribed between going to work and going to visit her brother and going home and it's not full in any way uh and and when she goes to the keys you know she doesn't she doesn't become a party girl she does she does not become unrecognizable to herself or to her family. She She's just living a, a bigger life. And there's, of course, a, um, a much darker sort of thread that she's carrying. And that ultimately resolves itself towards the end of the book. Um, and I'm thinking now about, there. there is a sort of superficial connection of the incarcerated man, I think, between Eloquent Rage and Veins of the Ocean, but I also think that because in the novel, the incarcerated person has committed an act of murder and it's a part of that person's story, I think it's, it's you have to go farther back than that. And you have to go back to a woman who was married to a man who did not love her. She did not love him. He tried to kill his child. His child ultimately killed someone else. And this circumscribed life that is surrounded by fear and anger and interacting with people who do not hear you and who try to make you someone that you are not, I think is gonna be a stronger connection between the two books. And I know that it's two very different places and spaces. Um, and it's a connected, you know, that these stories and are connected to the life experience of the, of the women who wrote them, sometimes more intimately than others. So there's, there's a, I don't want to be in any way superficial about the importance of that. I feel like the books both end with a kind of a benediction and not easily though. Um, you're not left comfortable, you are left blessed and that is a very different thing.
And I, I'm actually, the more I'm thinking about it, the, the more there is between them that is connected. The, the, the role of thoughtless large-scale politics in a person's day-to-day -day life and how fragile the lives that are subject to some of those laws become is worth exploring and challenging because white people don't necessarily, actually, I don't, I think it, how do I put this? We just don't live that close to chaos and danger and isolation, um, even in extreme poverty, not, it's still different um, because we do have that privilege of being white in a society that privileges white people. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna enjoy sort of chewing on this again. So again, um, the books for today were Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper and The Veins of the Ocean by Patricia Engel. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Y'all have a good one. That's all for today. Be sure to tune in tomorrow to see what kinds of nonsense I get up to then. Shop local, support your local library, and keep your bookshelves brave. Thank you so much for listening. Bye now.